Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, July 13th, and today, Teddy Schleifer stops by to tell us about Sam Bankman-Fried, the 30-year-old crypto billionaire who is starting to dabble in media and politics, and he's spending lots of money in the process. Teddy has the goods on who this guy is, what he wants, and why you're going to be hearing his name for a long, long time to come. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy hump day, everybody. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, who you may recognize by voice as the uh, gentleman who covered for me when I was on vacation last week. How was it filling in, Teddy? Did, did you uh, have any hiccups? What did you learn? It was good. You know, there's the, uh, this, this is really an art form. And um, uh, every, every week that I get to spill in for you, Peter, I feel like I am just retracing the art that you do on a daily basis. Wow, dude. I am a mere understudy. Well, um, I am the Drew Bledsoe to your Tom Brady. One day I will get injured in a catastrophic injury and you will fill in for me and just become Mm. the greatest podcast host Mm. in American history. Thank you. Less handsome though. Thank you. Than Tom Brady, not me. Yes. (laughs) True. Um, We are going to talk about a gentleman named Sam Bankman Freed, who is uh, known also in wealth circles as SBF. He is a crypto billionaire and he has started to uh, dabble in politics, uh, running some, some might say sort of like, you know, harebrained political campaigns uh, this year um, that have not been successful, but that doesn't mean he should be written off. He is one of the wealthiest uh, people in the world, in the country. And Teddy, where did this guy come from? Because I feel like I am only waking up to him uh, in recent months uh, and you've talked to him uh, several times. And two, what is he interested in changing about this country. You're not wrong to sort of have this whiplash of never hearing about this person uh, ever uh, a year or 18 months ago, and now suddenly hearing about him all the time. And, and it's not because we are obsessed with him as, as a character. It's just because he's been shot out of a cannonball and is now all over 
our culture, our politics, you know, our economy. Uh, earlier today, uh, I was walking back from lunch after getting some soup. Soup. Yes, I'm a big soup guy. There, there was a huge uh, poster of him uh, on a uh, on a bus stop that said, "Like, are you in?" And trying to encourage people to trade crypto through his company called FTX. And it's a photo of him. So, like, he he is very much leaning into the celebrification of himself. He talks to reporters a lot, like me. Uh, he he is interested in in being a character in our economy. But yes, 18 months ago, no one knew who this guy was. So so the quick thumbnail sketch, and, uh, and there's a ton to talk about him. He is 30 years old. He has kind of crazy hair, wears shorts all the time, like definitely is leaning into this image of like the crazy crypto guy who d- is so, you know, devoted to his work and to his uh, plans that he has no time to comb his hair. He's the CEO of FTX, which is this crypto company, which uh, you can sort of think of it as, a, as an exchange for people to trade cryptocurrencies. But what I focused most on are his political and philanthropic ambitions. He spent tens of millions of dollars already this cycle. Like he's one of the biggest political donors in the country right now. Probably his biggest political spend to date um, was he spent $13 million on a congressional camp primary in Oregon in May. And the guy got absolutely creamed. It was for a Democratic, it was a random race outside of Portland, Oregon. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's candidate lost. He's also spent $13 million or about here in California trying to get a ballot proposition qualified that would have set up a bureaucracy or a California state agency to prevent future pandemics. That ballot prop, I think last week or two weeks ago, we realized would not even qualify for the ballot. So that's $26 million right there that has been sort of burned. And his philanthropic work, basically Sam's main passion is trying to prevent future COVIDs. The idea is that maybe America got kind of lucky with the fact that COVID wasn't quite as deadly as it could have been. And what if there is some future pathogen that infects every single person in the United States, every single person in the world, but is just more deadly? Mm-hmm. That would suck. So he is very interested in these like, kind of these existential risks, long-term risks, yeah. things like nuclear proliferation that could lead to the end of the world, things like a, a bomb that kills everybody or a pandemic that kills everybody. So it's sort of this right-brained, data-focused way to view the world. And Sam is actually willing to spend an enormous amount of money at a Uh pretty young age to try and get this done. He made his money in crypto. So he's new to the game. And I feel like a lot of big spending people from the tech universe bring to politics these, as you mentioned, sort of long view, long horizon, infrastructure problems, um, fixing democracy or fixing climate change or fixing immigration. I feel like the crypto universe has this patina of rebellious, libertarian, fuck the system, POV. Is he more in the former camp or the latter camp in your mind? Sam's political ideology, to use the term of art, is called effective altruism. It boils down to a utilitarian view of the world. And, and to summarize it quickly, it's basically, you know, like with the ways you uh, you decide, you know, whether or not something is good for society being what is the greatest good for the greatest number, which many people remember from that senior year philosophy seminar. Um, <laughs> it, it's basically a way of, hey, if I want to decide what to do with my $1, right? Should I spend it on a yacht? Should I spend it on a new computer? Should I spend it on a lobbying campaign to pressure Congress to prevent future pandemics, you should basically make these mathematical calculations that assess 
the likelihood that this would help humanity. So if your $1 will make you happier on a yacht, that's great. But what if that $1 could save 0.63498 human lives? Then you should spend it on that. And if there's some other proposal that would save you know, 0.236497, then don't spend it on that because it's less. So it's all about ROI. And as I guess the critique of effective altruism is you end up trying to like do these mathematical calculations on these things that are absurd, right? What is the chance of a nuclear bomb ending humanity as we know it, Peter? Is it 0.01%, 0.02%? Cause that's, you know, could mean you have twice the difference in impact in terms of the, the dollar you donate. So it ends up as this like ridiculous question of how much you can assume certain things to happen or what are the odds of these long tail risks. You talked about this house race in Oregon, and I think this is instructive about what he's trying to do and where he's trying to to move politics. Um, Oregon 6, I believe. Oregon 6, yeah. And this was a newly created district after the last census. Yep. And so just totally like tons of candidates jumped in, likely Democratic district. He spent how much money? 13 million, 12 and a half. Okay, 12 and a half million. So I just looked it up. So his guy, Carrick Flynn, that he was supporting, uh, got 11,000 votes. So what is that? Like like $1,000 a vote, basically? I did the same calculation a couple weeks ago. But yes, uh, yes, obviously the ROI, you know, for all that speechifying I just did about the, the theory of change here, yeah. like that's awful, right? I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not changing yeah, the world. Yeah. Uh, it's not a very... The expected value didn't work out. Here's where he feels similar to traditional donors and certainly tech people getting involved in politics. It's like he certainly has smart people around him and he's seeking out advice. But, you know, it sounds like he lacked the appropriate touch here. Like he comes in, buys up all the advertising in inventory in this district, pisses off local Democrats, like outside money, it's an easy, especially in a progressive district, easy to be like, hey, this rich guy is trying to buy the seat. But why did he get behind this candidate, Carrick Flynn specifically? And then also the ballot initiative you mentioned here in California about creating like a, a pandemic prevention like office in California. Like yeah. what was he trying to do with both of these things specifically? Like I, like, I just, I just want to get into more about like what he cares about and what he's trying to do. Let's pretend that we are Sam for a moment. You believe that Congress and California do not emphasize prevention for future pandemics enough. Sam's view on Congress was basically, if you had one congressperson who really cared about this issue more than any other issue, maybe that when there's, you know, a ton of haggling in, on Capitol Hill about what gets cut in, you know, a big uh, omnibus bill, for instance, um, if you had the right person just one person in Congress who was going to fight to the death for this issue, then maybe the $12 million you spent to elect the guy uh, could have 20 or $30 billion of federal funding come as a consequence of that person's victory. And that's what he saw in Carrick Flynn was Carrick Flynn is someone who he had never met before. Um, kind of interestingly, Carrick Flynn is someone who is also an effective altruist. So it's sort of like a this little kind of debate club of, of one person's the donor, one person's the candidate. I can tell you lots of the operatives around Sam Bankman-Fried are also effective altruists. So the idea was you elect one person, the ROI on that could be pretty huge. If you have any experience in Washington, you know that like just because you elect, you know, the 435th most senior member of Congress, like does not mean that person can somehow deliver $30 billion of congressional aid. So it's very easy to see this as, as naive, but that's the idea. Similarly, here in California, the idea was 
well, if we can just, you know, spend $15 million and get this thing on the California ballot, maybe we can yield tens of billions of dollars in California state spending to prevent Mm -hmm. future pandemics. It's easy, especially now that both these things have failed to sit here and say that these were like very simplistic views of money and politics, but that's the big idea. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is here to help you grow whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person pos system wherever and whatever you're selling shopify has got you covered shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 15 percent better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this is the last question i want to ask you about spf yes um and i want to ask you about another s word which is semaphore semaphore uh-huh. 
it turns out that our pals Ben Smith and Justin Smith, who are starting a um, you know nonpartisan global news brand, uh, they're building it with much buzz right now and hiring like gangbusters. It turns out that Sam Bankman-Fried is investing correct in Semaphore. Why? And also, is is Semaphore trying to keep this a secret? I feel like you might have scooped that. Uh, we, we had a story a couple of weeks before the investment that Sam was basically talking with a bunch of newsrooms about ways to kind of put his agenda of effective altruism uh, into the bloodstream of, of media and of newsrooms across the country. And then the, and then this news came out about Semaphore. So I was not surprised. Um, you would not think that with the theory of change I just laid out that someone like that would invest in, in media, which, you know, the ROI on media is very nebulous. Like, what is the impact of a story you know, like no one really knows. So the idea what they see with Semaphore, and Sam hasn't disclosed exactly how much he's put into it, but um, the idea was, what if there was better reporting on kind of America's response to COVID? Or what if there was better reporting about just how likely it is that there's going to be some nuclear uh, fiasco that leads to the end of the world, right? Which is this long tail risk I was talking about. Like those are the sort of stories that um, I don't think Puck's going to cover, but if you were an effective altruist uh, and you wanted to see a publication write about those things like Ben Smith's, you know, sort of sober minded, globalist, internationally focused publication might be the right place to read those stories. And if those stories are published, who knows, maybe there's some policymaker in Washington who does something about it. Obviously, these are all bank shots, right? Everything I've talked about over the last yeah, yeah, couple yeah. of minutes have been these bank shots. Um, and that is the bear case on, on Sam is that he's like almost trying too hard, too sophisticated with the move. And look, I mean, that's, that's what it means to do things differently. I suppose is you have the old wizened hands saying like, who does this 30 year old think he is? There's that. But I also, am, uh, one reason I'm like hyped to talk to you about this is like, this guy's going to be around for a very long time oh, totally. and you, you're on the ground floor of covering him. And it's just interesting to see the maturation in real time of somebody who is going to be influencing the political system for a long time to come. Um, and, and to be clear, like, I mean, you might know different, but if he's investing in Semaphore and wants more coverage of like nuclear nonproliferation, like Ben and Justin are real journalists. They're not going to like take cues from him on what to cover and what not to cover. Sort of like the post with Bezos. Like he doesn't, as far as I know, call up and say like, you need to cover this or that. Yeah. But just like investing in creating more coverage of a topic is... I assume what you're talking about, and and we celebrate investments in journalism. <laughs> yes, I mean lots of uh, uh, nonprofit or for-profit journalism investments are about finding yeah. the middle of the Venn diagram. It's, it's uh, you know what types of things get covered. That's the sort of thing that funders have tons of influence over, and that's that's not right. that's not wrong. That's just kind of how these things go. Before I let you go, Teddy, um, I was uh, cruising through SBF's Wikipedia page. Uh, he went to MIT. He uh, likes baseball. <laughs> he graduated with a degree in physics and a minor in uh, math. But one amusing thing I discovered was uh, he was in high school, went to the Canada-USA math camp. He went to math camp, which uh, I love because I feel like the kids who go to like math camp and debate camp and band camp uh, like end up running the world. So my question for you is, did you do an extremely dorky nerdy camp slash club in high school uh, because I did and I'm going to say what mine is but I want to hear what yours is first. Oh, I mean, I mean, I went to Jewish camps growing up which is like basically a uh, a rite of passage. I don't even know if that's even that nerdy. I mean, I feel like that is honestly where 
Um, Every one of my Jewish friends went to Jewish summer <laughs> camp and talks about Jewish summer camp as like this, like like it's the most incredibly formative totally, thing. Totally, totally, yeah. But you didn't go to like a, you didn't do like a math club in high school or anything. I mean, I was I was a debate kid as every reporter. Debate, is. okay, fair. That's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting at. I did Battle of the Brains in high oh, school, man. which is like a quiz bowl thing, uh, and. You know, I played soccer and did the high school newspaper, but the, the dorkiest thing is I did Battle, Battle of the Brains. We still talk to girls, you know, don't worry about sure, it. Sure, yeah, totally talk to tons of girls, um, prom king, all, all that stuff for sure. All right, Teddy, we'll see you soon. Thanks for covering this guy. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 